Hi, I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring your human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. My guest this week is Shiza Shahid. Shiza was born and raised in Pakistan, went to Stanford, and left her job at McKinsey to run the Malala Fund. She is also the co-founder of Our Place, Now and Now Ventures. She is an entrepreneur, an investor, an activist, a speaker, and an amazing host who is always looking to connect the dots to drive the greatest positive social impact. Shiza was named one of the people who are 30 under 30, changing the world by Time Magazine, and is also one of the top social entrepreneurs by Forbes. Welcome to the show, Shiza. Thank you, Erica. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So I'm I'm in Connecticut right now in quarantine, and are you in LA? I am. I'm in Los Angeles, and the fact that it is sunny is a uh, is a blessing because it means uh, we can go for a walk in our neighborhood and get a little fresh air. And nowadays it's the little things that, that um, help us all get through the days. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, one thing I was thinking about this morning, knowing that we were going to talk is that, you know, like me, you're used to being on the road a lot, traveling, giving speeches, you know, how has that transition been to, to working from home? Um, it's been interesting, you know, this is a, it's a devastating time globally. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate I can work from home. I, uh, I have a team that, you know, is young and good with email and Slack and Zoom and, you know, we transitioned pretty seamlessly. And in fact, I think I'm probably being more productive because I have nothing else to do. So you know, many days I'll climb out of bed and go sit downstairs and in the same pajamas and realize it's 8 p.m. and I haven't really done anything else. Um, and I think that's that that is a trend that a lot of people who are able to work from home and don't have children um, are finding themselves working more and more. Um, and then, of course, you, the formats are shifting. It's it's a struggle to stay connected and build our team culture in the same way that we would have if uh, if we were in the office. It's um, it's difficult to connect with people when you're giving a talk or um, presenting. Just yesterday, I was uh, recording a talk for a conference that I was supposed to speak at that's now gone virtual, and I recorded the whole talk and then I watched it and I thought, no, this is this is not working. I can't just speak to the camera for 40 minutes. Um, so then I had to sit and really rethink how to make it engaging and how to add variety and, and things I wouldn't even have considered earlier. Uh, immediately became part of the equation. So everything's changing. Everything's in flux. Um, you know, I definitely feel grateful to be able to do the work that that I do remotely, uh, but I'm also rethinking it all. Yeah, I, I think there are, you know, we talk about the new normal and and which parts of the old normal do we do we not want to go back to? And I think for for people like us who are often on the road, maybe we maybe there is some type of of hybrid where we can bring our human, bring our content, bring our ideas, um, both by seeing people face to face, but, but also online. So, so I love that. Um, so the, the podcast is, is about bringing your human to work and to life. And when I think about bringing my human, it's about honoring relationships and honoring relationships with, as you said, your, your colleagues, maybe your customers, investors, board, and, and also, with yourself. 
And so I would love to hear from you about the importance of relationships in your life and how they have helped you be so successful. Yeah. Um, you know, relationships are everything. And uh, I, I have the blessing and the curse of being an immigrant. Um, you know, I say it's a curse because, you know, you leave everything behind. I don't have friends who uh, know my parents or uh, I went to high school with. Most of them are, are back home and I haven't lived there for 13 years now. Um, and I've moved around a lot since. Uh, it's a blessing, however, because it does mean that my community is chosen. It's not accidental. I'm not just friends with someone because they happen to live next door to me. Um, I choose each and every person that I spend time with and very often I'm choosing them because I admire them. I admire their values. I admire their intellect. I admire um, what they've done in the world, what they're driven to do. Um, I admire the way in which they lift me up and, and the way that I can do the same for them. So it is very much a community of people um, who are sort of on the same wavelength and um, who make me better. And I hope that, that I'm able to do the same for them. Uh, so I am very deliberate in creating my relationships because I don't just get to have them otherwise. And, uh, you know, um, Erica, since you and I have spent time together, I love, I love to host. Um, I love to deliberately connect people. I feel very fortunate that, um, you know, I, I come from very humble origins from across the world. And I've been in rooms with um, some of the most powerful leaders in the world. And, and because people have opened up their networks to me and said, hey, you should meet this woman she's doing something um, that's interesting and she has something to say and and that's been everything for me so paying that forward um, for two other people and continuing to cultivate that for myself is, is very important yeah I read an article you know just in reading about what you've been doing and articles from the past an article that was written that said how you became a host that when you were 22 and came to New York to start the Malala Fund, you were lonely, went to a lot of dinners. And I agree, it's oftentimes a lot of shallow small talk and and how you intentionally began to, to become a host. And I will say, having been to one of your dinners and we co-hosted a dinner, that you are so intentional about, about how you curate those, those connections. And I think it's, I think it's a gift that you give to the, to the world. So thank you for that. Thank you. And, uh, and I've had the pleasure of being at, at gatherings that you've hosted and they have so much intention and they're all about making people feel seen and heard and connected. And, and I know my journey to becoming a host was it came from a place of being at gatherings and not feeling seen or heard or connected and wanting to intentionally create an environment where people feel like they can open up um, and where people with all kinds of personalities can start to find common ground. Because I think a lot of our experiences are designed for extroverts and not really for introverts or, or people in the middle. And, uh, and I think if we can start to think about how different kinds of people connect uh, then we can create gatherings that really bring out the best in, in all of us and that leave us feeling energized and not depleted. 100%. You know, what about honoring the relationship with yourself? Um, is that something you think about? Is it hard to find 
find time to do that as well with with all of these different initiatives and projects and companies that that you have going on? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> um, there, you know, I think it it depends on on where you are in life. I think I'm certainly at a point where there's so much going on, and usually, you know, on a weekday, I'm on calls from nine to six, and then after that, I have to find time to actually do the work. Um, you know, you're managing large teams, and you have a lot of people relying on you, and you're constantly making decisions. But what I have found is. Um, you know, when you don't do the work on yourself, it shows up in everything else. And I, I look at what I'm doing now and the stakes are so high and I have to be present for so many people and I have to be compassionate um, even when I'm extremely anxious and I have to um, be in control of my emotions when things are stressful. And I'm, re and I'm seeing those patterns that I haven't quite worked on pop up and there's just really no way to avoid them without doing the work um, to work through them. And so even at this moment when I am busy, um, I'm, I'm realizing it's important to take the time to do the work, to see what's showing up, to unravel those patterns, because unless you're at your best personally, you're not going to be at your best as, as a leader and you're not going to have um, the success that, that you're trying to have in your work and in your business. Right. I mean, I love that. I often ask people to to think about this question of, does your calendar reflect your values, you know, and mm -hmm. the values of your organization? And I think if we don't figure out what is important to us and make time for that, both in terms of honoring relationships with others and ourselves, to your point, it's we're not going to achieve the success we we want to achieve. And so I think a lot of listeners you know, can, can learn a lot from listening to what you were just saying as someone who is, you know, managing so many different things and companies and initiatives. So I, I appreciate that a lot and, and being willing to, to look at those patterns of what's, of what's coming up. So I would love to talk to you about rituals, which is the topic of, of my new book, Rituals give us a sense of psychological safety, of belonging, they're restorative. And I often share a study that I came across when I was writing Bring Your Human to Work out of Cornell that found that the firefighters who were the most dedicated to the ritual of the firehouse meal, sitting around the table with each other, building trust, it correlated with higher performance and those firefighters saved more lives. So there really is this correlation between connection and honoring relationships and, and performance, both individually and also for our, for our company. And I would love for you to talk about your newest company, Our Place, and and the rituals that surround it and how you, you know, came up with the idea. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that study makes so much sense to me because, you know, you, you show up in large part for the people around you. You know, people always say, find your passion. And they think, you know, passion is this sort of one thing, right? Like my passion is women's rights, but I could take you into an organization where the culture was broken and you were working on women's rights and you were miserable. And I could take you into an organization where, you know, maybe you weren't working directly on women's rights. You were working on a product that perhaps, you know, had positive social benefits, but wasn't, you know, 
directly in the line of your passion, but the people around you were amazing and the culture was amazing and you had real rituals and you would be so much happier. And I think we underestimate the importance of, you know, when we're choosing our careers and our paths, the, the importance of, of people and relationships and cultures and, and, and our day-to-day -day work and what that looks like. Um, and it's really that intersection of, you know, what do you want to be working on, but who are you working with and, and how, how do you work um, that all has to line up. So, um, you know, when I think of a lot of early stage startups, you know, you, you see these really um, incredible growth trajectories in, in the startup world. And I think a large part of that is, you know, you build a team and then you, you feel like you're in battle together, you know, you're working every day to build something. And I've worked in a large company and I've worked um, in startups. And the big difference I find is that sense of I am with my teammates and we're fighting for something together and really building something that makes you so much more productive and energized and happy in your work. Um, but, you know, putting that aside um, and speaking specifically about our place, our place is a ethical, sustainable, mission-driven kitchenware line. And it is rooted in the belief that when you bring people together around a home-cooked meal, you start to make the world a little bit smaller in the best way. There is something incredible about home cooking and home cooking traditions and rituals that holds so much. It holds um, our happiest memories. You know, when people, when, when you ask people, well, what's a really happy memory for you? It's almost always, I went home for college and my mother cooked this thing that I love to eat, or I would go to my grandmother's house and we would bake this thing together. Um, home cooking is also the bedrock of culture and, and tradition. You know, people, you go into people's homes and I can, I can speak for myself. I'm an immigrant. Um, I no longer dress as often in traditional South Asian clothes, which I grew up wearing every day. I'm probably more fluent in English now than I am in my, in my mother tongue, Urdu. But you come into my kitchen and you will know who my mother is, who my grandmother was. It is built into our DNA. And, and when everything else falls apart, home cooking remains this place where we express our identity. So our place has been creating products and collections and stories that really celebrate home cooking traditions and, and celebrate them within a community and across communities uh, to really show the diversity and connection within America. I love that. It, you know, it's making me think, you know, here we are on today's May 11th, you know, we've all been, been quarantined, um, quarantining in our homes. And one of the things I started to do when, when we came up to Connecticut, we got out of New York City, was to continue our ritual of, of making brisket on Friday night. And I will say I am not the biggest cook, although I am excited to try your cookware, but that is, that is a tradition and a, and a ritual of ours to have brisket on, on Friday night. And when I talk about how rituals bring that sense of psychological safety and belonging, I could see the look on my kids' faces when they walked in the, in the door um, when everything has been so scary and things have changed to, to have that that smell, that, that sensory impact, um, you know, on them and, and just 
the impact that that had in in the kitchen and and in our home. So I love what what you're talking about a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, one of the things that people have been doing during the COVID-19 epidemic is cooking more. People are cooking more than ever and I think for a while cooking had become this really intimidating thing with all the Instagram accounts with the perfectly styled acai bowls and and cookware companies that all sell 16 piece cookware sets that are designed for professional chef. It had become very intimidating and our whole message is, you know, you don't have to be a gourmet chef, but cooking something, anything a couple of times a week is fundamental because it connects you. It connects you to your food systems, to your farmers, to your health, to your family, to your community, and to your traditions. And uh, and this uh, last April, uh, we uh, interviewed people who are celebrating major traditions because April happened to be a month where you had Passover, you had Easter, you had the beginning of Ramadan. And so we spoke to people who were celebrating each of these traditions and sort of finding the silver lining and spoke to this um, woman who was putting together a Passover Seder. And she said, you know, usually I have 27 people over for dinner, but now I have 60 people on a Zoom call and I'm having dinner with people in my family I've never celebrated Passover with. And we spoke to this uh, woman who was celebrating Ramadan and, and never used to cook and was now learning to cook these things that, uh, that her mother and grandmother used to make for her. Um, and we spoke to this woman who was celebrating Easter and she was writing down her mother's recipes because her kids wanted exactly what grandmother, what their grandmother used to make for them. And she said, you know, I'm so glad I'm writing these down because you never know, you know, and you can't take for granted that uh, grandparents will always be around and now I have the opportunity to write down these recipes and preserve them. So, so I do think at this time people are finding a lot of comfort in home cooking and it's something that's growing and it's becoming one of the rituals that's grounding us and giving us comfort. Mm-hmm. I do. I think about the word grounding a lot when I think about rituals. Do you have a ritual, a personal ritual that you could share or a ritual perhaps that you do with, with your team at work? Yeah, we recently started doing uh, team lunches um, once a week where we all, you know, get lunch and we we set up on a Zoom call. And my um, my personal ritual that I love, and you know this, is, uh, is uh, prompts. So really having a prompt for any gathering that gets people to open up and share and that um necessitates that everyone sort of gets to speak and speak has the same amount of participation because as you know in any group usually there's a couple of people who speak a lot a couple of people who don't speak (laughs) at all but everyone always has a really interesting story to share so so every week i come up with a prompt and you know last week it was we we shared everyone's baby everyone had to upload a baby photo and share um a food memory from their childhood um, and the week before we did, um, you know, what's the first thing you're going to do when, uh, the quarantine is lifted. Um, and, you know, just sort of finding these, these ways to get people to, to open up and share stories. Um, so I will, you know, anytime I gather a group, whether in person, um, as I used to, or now virtually, I always have a prompt and will always use that to guide the conversation. That's great. So this lunch ritual, is this something that you had before that you're sort of maintaining during quarantine or something that you started that that you'll think about continuing after this? 
So when we were in the office, we used to cook together all the time. We got an office space with a kitchen and everyone was always, if you went in, someone was always cooking and you'd always, you know, you'd drop in and be like, what are you making? And they teach you what they're making and you you'd taste it. And that was, you know, our lives and our culture revolved very much around cooking and eating together. Um, you know, of course that has uh, shifted, um, you know, it's shifted because we're apart. And even when we are together, there's going to be some social distancing for a while. So, you know, cooking and eating out of the same, uh, you know, that closely is not going to be something we can do um, until this passes. But, um, you know, still preparing our own food, sitting, um, you know, right now in our own homes, but eventually at a distance and sharing stories, I think will become the new ritual that replaces um, the cooking itself and, and becomes a stand-in for just closer proximity. Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I think it's great. And you know, that one of the, the, the subtitle of the book is, is how rituals trans, they, you know, transform everyday routines, you know, into, into workplace magic. And mm-hmm. I, you know, one of your superpowers, I, I believe, is making these these gatherings magical by curating, you know, the people, or if it's the people in your office, by by picking the prompt that that brings something new out. And what I what I often think about is that you know none of this is rocket science. It costs nothing, but it's about. Mm being intentional and making and making it a, a priority. So love that. My last question before we get into a few rapid fire questions is what do you do as a person that makes you feel most like you? I think hanging out with my husband um, is definitely at the top of the list. Uh, you know, we um, have a little home here in Los Angeles and we've been quarantining together and we now work together as well. And uh, just creating boundaries between, you know, our work relationship and our home relationship and really just having this space to, to talk and to play and to do fun things. And, um, you know, even just sort of injecting our imagination into the mundane a little bit. So, you know, um, we only really get to go out now to go to the grocery store. And I've just created a narrative for both of us where we just pretend like it's the most fun thing. <laughs> we like, let's go out and, uh, and we'll go and like, you know, we'll browse the aisles and get really excited because we discovered a new brand of cereal and, um, and just finding ways to inject some joy in, into the mundane and the everyday and, um, and some playfulness and some lightheartedness, um, because otherwise we're just always on and always thinking about work and always stressed about something. Um, and also just really creating those boundaries where, you know, we had to learn, um, to ask each other, Hey, can I talk to you about work right now? Um, so that we know when we're going into a work conversation versus a personal one. And, um, and yeah, those those have definitely been some fun rituals. I think another one for me has been um, picking up little hobbies. I didn't grow up with a lot of access to you know music or sports, um, and I've always enjoyed those. So um, now as an adult, I will take on little hobbies 
and just start taking lessons at something that I know I will always be really bad at. Um, but I also know that it's like training a part of my brain in something new and just, just shifting the way that I think. Um, so I, I've been taking voice lessons um, and I know I'm never going to be a, a musician, but it gives me one other thing to do to think about, one other part of myself to train. And I feel like it just opens my mind up in different ways. And in everything else that I do, I try to be so, you know, I try to outperform. So choosing things where I'm never going to be, you know, I'm always going to be pretty bad at it. Um, and just trying and working through it. And it's not about the outcome. It's just about the process, um, I think, has, has been really good for me as well. Wow. I love that. Don't worry. I won't ask you to sing on the podcast. <laughs> maybe, maybe next time. Exactly. I love that. I'm going to think about what I can learn that I know that I'm bad at because you're right. We all are, you know, type A, high performing. And if we know something that, that we're really not great at, we can, there are other aspects of our brain that can work and we can learn different things about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that is interesting food for thought. <laughs> so finally, this quick, fun lightning round of just to learn a little bit more about you. Um, the first question is, what is your most creative time if you had to pick one midnight or 6 a.m midnight midnight guilty pleasure sweet or savory sweet now i remember at many of your meals we always end them with um with yummy dark chocolate and i remember that from our from our Mm -hmm. dinner in new york what would be your go-to song if you were singing karaoke Something from Ingrid Michaelson, like you and I. Okay. You can, you can bring that song into your, your next voice lesson. Absolutely. Um, last show watched or binged if you've been having time to binge on Netflix. I just finished the Michelle Obama documentary. Oh, me too. It was great. <laughs> and finally, I have the same question that you asked your team, which is what is the first thing you'll do when you get out of quarantine? You know, there's the obvious ones, like I want to go visit my parents and see my family um, and get a haircut and get my eyebrows done. Um, but putting that aside, I think um, one thing I really miss is, uh, this is in a post-COVID world, of course, I miss going to the farmer's market and like sampling the fruit <laughs> at our farmer's market. They would always have just every variety of fruit and tons of samples and you could try 30 kinds of pluots and then choose the three you wanted is that is that the one in santa monica the one in brentwood um and it's it's one that we walk to and i still go um but you know you go in you walk you get everything quickly you walk out and i just miss interacting with the farmers and you know seeing what they have and trying the different varieties and like just being there. Um, so I, I hope that we'll be able to do that um, in a couple of months. I know. I love that. I just had this image of the, those farmer's markets with, on the, with the toothpicks and all the different plums and all the different peaches and it seems like a exactly. lifetime ago. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming and, you know, for speaking to me in the midst of quarantine and all the different amazing projects that you're working on. I'm excited to get my my pot so I can start cooking. And most importantly, I, I can't wait till we can have dinner together again. 
Me too. Thank you, Eric. And thank you for all the work that you're doing to, to get everyone to bring their human to work and think about the rituals that keep them grounded. And I know I've been personally very inspired by uh, your writings and, and the ideas that you're putting out there. So it's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thanks so much. Take care, Shiza. Thank you for tuning in this week to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word HUMAN to 66866, or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.